0: Hi, friends! Join us as we dive into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We are your hosts, Leah, Sarah, Tabby, and whether you're a new viewer or a longtime fan, welcome to Becoming Buffy.
1: Hi guys, welcome back to Becoming Buffy. Today we're talking about season 5, episode 6, Family. And today we have a special guest with us. We have our sister-in-law, speaking of family. with us. Yeah, Speaking of Family. <laughs>
2: <laughs> welcome, Katherine. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. This episode hit harder than I thought it would. Yeah.
3: Katherine, mm. I've walked in on her watching it 3 times.
2: <laughs> There's a lot.
1: There's a lot to it. I have many thoughts. Good. Yeah, there's a lot to this episode. When I was watching it, I was surprised by how much I've missed in the past. This is not an episode I usually do rewatches um, because it's one of the few episodes in season five that doesn't really do much for pushing the overlying plot forward like it still mentions glory and all the other stuff but it really is it's so incredibly focused on tara and on some of the other scoobies and it ends it's one of the few episodes in the buffy that ends on a kind of a happy high note um, a lot of buffy episodes don't do that and so i really enjoyed it it was not necessarily light but it had a really sweet feel to it and i enjoyed it thoroughly
3: it's long overdue too i think that's partially why yes. it's very loved is it's like, oh my word, finally we're going to address so much about Tara, but also like her sabotaging the spell that we now know was having to do with uh, Willow and Tara trying to find uh, a demon. And so she was scared that Willow would find the demon in her and, you know, took out the essence or whatever. But it's like, that was like in the middle of season four. Yeah. And this is the sixth episode of season five. Like that. And that's just. Exactly how it's been with Tara's character. It's like here's little crumbs, and then we're gonna dress it next season.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just my appreciation for Tara as a character has grown. And I know we've said this in our spoiler section, but I have come to appreciate her more and more as I rewatched the show. Just the quiet maturity. Um, and just I can relate with those feelings of just not necessarily self-loathing, but kind of self-loathing where she doesn't feel like she's worthy. She doesn't feel like she's a part of something. And now we see why. And just to see her quietly mm-hmm. stand up for herself and have everybody stand up for her is just so rewarding.
3: And you know what I love about this episode too? is like, obviously there's like the metaphors of like coming out in a family that like is very abusive in that way and doesn't agree, but there's also that part of just like, Um, Like Sarah said, of just growing up in a family, maybe, or having people around you, or being in a culture growing up where just you being normal and being yourself is very much attacked and seen as a bad thing. Um, Just being like abused in a sorts. And I think that, um, or, and then that trickles into relationships. All sorts of relationships, friendships and romantic relationships and how like you view yourself and how that can affect the intimacy in every relationship you have. Mm -hmm. Um, So this episode just hits hard in like very different ways. And I love that like no matter where you're coming from in your background, like there's a part of it you can at least relate to. Like Tara's like to her core is the most – human-like character to me other than Xander. Um, but, like, she, I feel like she's made to be really um, relatable. And this episode especially.
2: I think it's interesting that you did bring up the idea of self-loathing, Sarah. Because, I mean, especially growing up, like all of us growing up in the church, there is this idea. And, and I know this both from some like personal experience, but also talking to other people. Like there is a, a deep self-loathing you get when you recognize that something that you understand to be a fundamental part of yourself and how you experience the world is told to be literal evil and damaging you become very apologetic for your own existence. And I think we see that with Tara. She's constantly embarrassed. She feels very misunderstood. And also that this misunderstanding is her fault and not just her fault, but something that is incredibly wrong and dangerous within her.
0: Well, and she cuts herself off from from asking for help. Like that shame stopped her from getting a real answer. Like, she could have mm-hmm. so easily, like, once her and Willow started having friends or started dating, she could have so easily gone to the Scoobies and been like, hey, I have some questions about myself, like, blah, blah, blah. And, like, they all would have opened arms to her. Um, but that fear mm. of them shutting her mm. off and her always being the problem and all those things, like, it stopped mm. her from having that answer for so long. I mean, that's a such a usual tactic.
2: Oh, well, yeah. But you, well, you also have like within the group as well, you have the example of Anya and like mm-hmm. Spike. Like, like they are not. And that's sort of like the thing that I really loved at the end of the episode, which we'll get to later. But, uh, where it's like you have her family and then you have, you know, the gang. And it's really the difference between curiosity and fear like does this new thing about a person spark you like, like spark an interest in you and it's like okay this is different and i want to know you more or does it like oh this is different that's dangerous like you see that play out between the two different groups that she chooses between ultimately but even though like again you have anya with the gang like you have an actual demon you like buffy dated angel like there are so many examples where it's like intellectually Tara knows that these are people who like work their best to exist within the complexity of the of the magic and Buffy universe Mm -hmm. and then you get her family who have drawn these very harsh lines about like how she can experience her magic how she can understand her magic They literally, I mean, quite literally, the plot is that they demonize her for it. Like, they demonize (laughs) the women in their family for it. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things where it's, like, even though Tara has all these practical examples that the gang will accept her. And probably if she had come up and been, like, hey, there's this lore in my family that, like, we women are part demon. They would have been, like, okay, let's, like, let's try and find out what that means for you. What part demon are you? Let's, like, see if we can, like, like separate it from your soul in some way. But she she internalized the demonization from her family to such an extent that that wasn't even a possibility for her. She like, it wasn't when it came to the point in time where it was like, Oh, I could tell Willow about this. And again, probably get some help, especially after that conversation with her father, that it just reinforced the fear that she grew up with. Like, again, it's one of those things you inherit it almost like instead of being curious about yourself, that's where the self-loathing comes from you just inherit the fear that those you grew up with gave to you be like hey this is how you're supposed to view yourself and as a result you adopt that image and it's just really heartbreaking to see but like you said like uh the ending is so sweet it made me cry
3: i like the fact that um anya and like you said spike and buffy dating a past demon is something that Tara knows because I think what comes with the territory of self-loathing and this is coming from somebody who has really struggled with that aspect um, coming out of just a really um, tightly wound culture. Um, Just feeling very restricted and all that sort of stuff, all all the fun things, you know, just girly things. Um, (laughs) But I feel like, like you can, you can, witness and observe that other people like uh, Anya being a demon is part of the friend group. And yet Mm -hmm. her, her, it's, there's a, there's a difference in her. Like, like there is an essence. There will always be a self, a different standard with yourself. Mm -hmm. Like it, it, growing up, it was so easy for me to forgive friends for stuff that I thought was bad or whatever. Like I was like, Oh, like I would easily accept friends and, and like forgive them so quickly. But then when it came to myself for doing like half as bad things or viewed myself, it just was very different. I, I like, it's like, you're, you're the exception to the rule and the negative part and every essence and every part. And so, um, I, I like the fact that that wasn't even a topic until the very end when Anya was like, "Well, what type of demon?" Because she is now like, like uh, kind of what Catherine's saying. She's asking questions because she she's knows her worth now. Like and even in this episode, you see that she has like, I mean, yeah, she she got offered the the job. I think the last episode, the episode beforehand, but like she has a part in society. She has like her self worth. She has like confidence. Um, so like the fact that she's asking the questions and she's like, well, what type of demon is she, you know? And like Tara doesn't even question it. Like her dad is like, all right, we got to go like you're evil or whatever. And she's like, I'll go. Like at the very end, she doesn't even like argue with it. She's like, I'd rather just leave and not hurt other people when she could sit there and, like, question it. Like, there were so many times in my life where I could have sat there and questioned stuff and I would have come out so much healthier (laughs) in the moment and I would have, like, noticed the, the cracks in the walls, you know? But, like if the oppressor is making this, I'm not talking about myself specifically. I'm just saying in general, if the oppressor is making people feel silly and stupid and intrinsically have no value, then they're not going to question anything because they think themselves to be evil and and bad in every regard, you know, like that's their default.
2: Oh, I I was going to say, it's sort of like the whole, like, even if you were to question, you're taught that, I mean, in Tara's case, she's literally taught that there's evil within her. So any part of her that, like, any intuition she may have that, like, that might not be the truth, that maybe this thing truly isn't evil, that's also within, like, the, the worldview that her family has. That's just more proof of the evil. Like, well, of course you don't think it's that bad because you are the evil. The evil is within you. It's part of who you are. So you shouldn't even trust yourself at this point.
1: All right. So this episode was written and directed by Joss Whedon, which was really surprising to me. This kind of breaks the mold a little bit. Um, In the past, Joss normally writes and directs the first episode, so the premiere of each season, and then the seventh episode, which is, as we've talked about, is the episode that sets up the major themes. It's like a big episode for the season. Um, And this season is the first time that Joss does not write or direct either the first episode or the seventh one. Instead, he chose this one. I was about to say, I was like, I know he for sure doesn't do Full for Love. Yeah. It's this episode, which is really interesting. And their Passion of the Nerds analysis was really great. And I'll I'll talk about it in a second. But um, yeah, it made me sit up for a minute because I was like, why did Joss pick this episode? He usually has – he likes the meatier episodes. Um, And this one doesn't necessarily feel like a meaty episode, I say in quotations, in the same way that his other episodes have. Like, you know, hush or restless or things like that. um, It's very different. So we'll talk about it in a second. So it aired November 7th, 2000. This episode has a few important callbacks to Goodbye, Iowa. Um, The first one being that that was when Willow and Tara did the locator spell to find all of the demons in Sunnydale, but Tara sabotaged it for reasons unknown. And the second reason we'll talk about later, um, there's a lot of callbacks to Goodbye, Iowa, and it's mostly with Riley. So buckle up, guys. We've got some things to talk about with Riley This is Amber Benson's first character-centric episode as Tara, which is shocking to me because Anya hasn't even had an episode, really. I know we kind of had the wish-ish, but I would argue that in in a lot of ways that Anya feels like a very different character than what we've come to know her as. So it'd be nice if she had her own episode as well, but hopefully that will come around soon. Um, In an interview, Amber Benson talked about the fan impact she experiences now, saying, I've definitely had a lot of people who've reached out because of Tara. A big part of it is the writing. I'm only a piece of the puzzle. She's had that impact because of who she was, how she was written, how she was shot and put together. I have the face, she's my face, and I guess my empathy because I guess that comes across, but it was a group effort. There wasn't a character like her around in the world, and she "'until she was brought into life in the Buffyverse. "'It was an honor to get to walk in Tara's shoes.'" It makes you feel very responsible to people and makes you think about how you approach things. It's part of the reason I've kind of pulled away from social media. It makes you feel very vulnerable to know how easily things you can say can be taken out of context and because there are people who feel very strongly about this character. I started to feel like maybe it's better to take a step back and not make myself so open to both the good and the bad. But there are those moments when I meet somebody face-to-face and they tell me I didn't kill myself because I saw a couple fall in love who were like me. And There's nobody like me in this small town in the Midwest where I grew up, so I felt like it was okay to be me. Then I'm reminded that playing Tara is the greatest thing that I've done as an actor. It's the most powerful and will probably be the thing that will go with me to the grave. It will be on my tombstone, you know, so it makes you feel responsible, but it's a wonderful responsibility. and every every fan encounter I've seen of Amber Benson, every con that she's been to, she just talks with such grace and such humility. Um, both her and and Willow Allison Hannigan were huge cornerstones in uh, gay representation in the media, and that is a huge huge like weight on your shoulders. If like try and get it right, um, and she was actually bullied massively. Um, and we've talked about it briefly, but she was bullied massively um, by the fans of the show because she wasn't as petite. She's literally normal looking. I don't even yeah, know what Every, every girl is normal looking, but like – Well, but also she looks like, like me. think about early 2000s culture. Oh, totally. Yeah. The heroine chic oh, yeah. if body you type. like, well, yeah. Well, I mean,
0: honestly, <laughs> being, being a woman is awful anytime, but like being a woman – that was not like literally a size double zero in early two thousands to like even two thousand ten was yep. like like a fate worse than death sometimes. Like it was just like you were ostracized. Like it was like crazy. I mean I even think back to like America's next top model where these women who would come and they're oh my tiny. gosh. they're like size mm-hmm. six and they're like mm, you're a little too big. Um, they're like, we could put you in the plus size category, but you're a little too small for it. So, like, we don't know where to put you. Um, right. What? Like, they would say stuff like that. And me as, like, a, you know, child, I was like, mm, right. Like, it's just crazy because it's like, <laughs> Tara, yeah. like, I, I've never once thought about the way Tara looked. Like, it's just so mm. crazy. Like, it it's it's insane how, I mean women's bodies are still always a topic of conversation it's just because she had hips like that
2: was the issue Mm -hmm. like (laughs) for real also again this character is like a a lesbian this character is not trying to appeal to whatever like the Mm. the male ideal is of the time and yet it's still this whole thing of like especially because it is buffy and like the the women on the show like are beautiful and they do fit the conventional standard of the time. I feel like it's so easy to, and ultimately did happen the direct comparison, but even still, even though this is a character that is like almost explicitly within the narrative, not fitting those standards on every level. Like she's, you know, they talk about how she's a little weird, like she's so nice, but she's so odd, like in a loving sense like it very explicitly this character is not supposed to like quote unquote not be like other girls but not supposed to be like anyone else any anyone that's within like none of the other scoobies she's supposed to fill this like this very sweet very eager role and yet she's still getting compared to be like oh well she like did you see her arms like oh my gosh her stomach her boobs it's just sad it's You literally can't escape it. Even when you're like, even when you're explicitly like, this is not who I am. This is not what I'm trying to be. You're still going to get trashed on for not being the ideal.
1: Totally. And that's why representation is important. It's important for us to see someone who looks like us on screen because- like it or not, media plays a big part in shaping our culture and in shaping the values that we hold to. Mm-hmm. Um, I, not necessarily, it like for better or for worse. And so, it's so important to make sure that when a young child looks at something and it's a positive, it's it's portrayed as positive, that they're able to see themselves in some form uh, or another. Mm-hmm. So, and I guess that's kind of what this episode's about in a lot of ways too. <laughs> <laughs> bringing it full circle. All right. So believe it or not, Amber has actually gone on to become a screenwriter, a director, and even a novelist. She's gone on to actually write some urban fantasy novels. And one of her series is called The Witches of Echo Park, in case anyone wants to check it out, which Loki, I'm kind of wanting to check it out. So we kind of already addressed this, but just to kind of sum it all up, this episode very much has the theme of families we create versus the families we come from, Buffy confiding with Giles about her estranged father, Buffy's embracement of Dawn, even though she's not actually her sister, Riley's wrestling with being estranged from his family, the initiative, and then what to do next, and then, of course, Tara. So in a lot of ways, this is almost a two-parter from No Place Like Home because it happens like right after. Um, And again, even though it's about Tara and her acceptance in the Scooby gang. It's also about how Buffy is accepting Dawn, no matter who she is. Um, and there have been literal parallels between Dawn and Tara since the beginning of the season, and it plays out in this episode in a big way. So I am really excited to talk about this episode because there's just – there's some good stuff. I can't remember the last time we
3: started off in Tara's dorm room. I was like, oh, uh, something about how she decorates in a room is so like cozy and warm. I love it.
1: I, is this Tara's dorm room or this Willow's? I think this is Willow's. Well, no. Um, Buffy and
3: Willow were roommates. And then um, Buffy's moving out this episode. But Tara
1: and Willow are not. But I'm pretty sure she asks her to be a roommate after this. No, Tara and Willow have separate rooms. And this is Willow's dorm room. Where is Tara? Li- though this is Tara's room. No, Tara has another. Because her dad's in her room later on. And it's like this dark room. This is Willow's. Willow has the red room. And Tara has a different one. The script literally says Willow's dorm room.
3: Well, I don't have the script in front of me. That's that's the issue. It's <laughs> not for lack of reading comprehension. <laughs> but they decorate the I, same I to me. It. I'm like, to me, they have similar aesthetics. They do not. They're very
1: different. What? No, they don't. Willow's is Willow's is red. She's got the red down comforter. There's lots of remember the red and gold imagery, which relates back to Restless, which I'll talk I about thought in a they second. Were but Tara's
2: not yet. No, that's a, like, there is a difference.
0: (laughs) Not Catherine being the one to educate us. This is the (laughs) only episode she's seen. Me and Tommy are I do. I
2: have seen it three (laughs) times now. (laughs) 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 Catherine's done her research, man. They are, at the very least, different rooms. Like, I don't know whose is whose, but they are different rooms. Because one does have a warmer. They look the same
3: to me. That's my truth.
2: (laughs) (laughs) They're both like decor. I mean, they're both like witchy decor, but like Tara's is cool tone and Willow's is warm tones.
1: Okay, wait. So I wanted to talk about how this scene is again. Restless was written by Joss. This scene is written or this episode is written by Joss. And so, Passion the Nerd pointed out that this episode plays like a bedtime story. Um, and Joss Whedon, when he writes, he usually goes for a specific feel, and he likes to play around. Like he's talked about how. Buffy was his version of film school. He was very experimental. And so each episode he did, he wanted to be like a specific thing. And so this episode, it plays out like the bedtime story with Tara telling Willow the bedtime story about the lonely little cat. And it ends with her finding the family of her dreams. And you have... this is Passion the Nerds analysis, not necessarily my, but he talks about how you have um, the brave knight, which would be Buffy. You have the damsel in distress, which would be Tara. You have the prince slash princess, which would be Willow. You have the evil step-parents- um, the not, not really the true family or whatever, as in her parents or her dad and her cousin and her brother. And then you have her true family stepping in and it all ends very happily. Um, and the fact that that starts out with, hey, let me tell you a story, tell you bedtime story, and the whimsical music playing along, um, it creates that feel.
3: Well, and then a magic as like a theme in it too.
1: Yes. And then um, you can't see the demons or – and then you also have – this idea which one of my criticisms of this episode until i thought about it with this lens is i felt like the bad guys were a little one dimensional so i felt like her dad her cousin or not necessarily her cousin but like her brother were a little bit more um, yeah i guess one dimensional is the word i not cartoonish but if if you're looking at it through the the lens of it's a story it's, it makes a little bit more sense. Um, so anyway, this, this moment right here is supposed to refer back to Restless when you had Willow and Tara inside of Willow's dream and Willow is painting on Tara's back and they're inside Willow's room and you have the cats playing with the ball of yarn and you have the red and gold imagery. So Tara's talking about herself when she's talking about this cat, but it also refers to Dawn. We've had Dawn foreshadowed by the imagery of the cats. And so now it's almost like literal because Dawn is in this episode and she's kind of the subtext. Um, And then, you know, we know that Willow feels as though being with Tara is her safe space. And we found that in Restless. And that's similar to the feelings that Tara expresses here. So very similar imagery to kind of call you back to that episode. Slay. Everybody goes cool, Sarah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, you did great Learning so much. So in Willow's room, we have um Willow and Tara. Did I say that right? Is this Willow's room?
1: You did. Well done, okay. Tammy. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. So proud of you. Uh, <laughs>
3: Slay. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tara's been studying a ton to kind of keep up with their spells so she can feel useful to the gang. And I was like, oh. Tara's just like the sweetest little angel. Like she's like I just want to feel useful and she's like "Um, I just never really feel like I'm part of like the gang or whatever and then Will's like no like that's not true. Um, That's also just such a that's such a type of
0: person where they just don't feel like their presence is good enough. Like they feel like they have to Mm -hmm. actively bring things to the table. Otherwise they are not of value. Like like Tara Mm -hmm. feels as though like she is not enough therefore she has to bring things that will be enough like it's just so sad and it's so real i feel like everyone feels this at some point where it's like whether it's a job or school or friendship or relationship or just life in general like you feel like if you exceed in something or you bring something then like it will cover for what you lack um
3: and it's just it's so sad also i have to point out too i don't know if i'm reading into this me um, during every single episode that we, that we put out, but like um, Tara talking about, I think it's oh, sorry, it's Willow talking about like the like little kitty being rescued to a pound and like and then kind of living like it ambiguous ambiguous at the end. It's like it has the kitty been adopted into like a, a loving family, mm-hmm. and I like to think that that's kind of like a foreshadow of like Tara throughout this episode. It's like this little kitty yes. kind of like wandering and like you know kitty lesbians classic. Um. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um. But like, just kind of like wandering around and and being put in a pound and like waiting to be rescued. Anyway, no, I think that's you know what totally I'm to it. Say. Tabs. Yeah,
1: yeah, I do, and I think I think you're spot on because that's also the same thing with Dawn. Is Buffy going to accept Dawn as her own? Because we left off kind of semi ambiguously at the very end of the last episode too.
3: So we move on um, back into Buffy's house. And um, Buffy's telling Giles kind of like it's like a a exact continuation of the lapse episode where Buffy finds out about Dawn, that she's the key and this mystical force. Um, And from what we could tell, Buffy's just told Giles about it. And he's like, okay, should we tell the rest of the gang about who Dawn is? And she's like, no, like it would be much safer if they don't
1: know. They would also treat her differently, which – all great points. Valid. Yeah, for real. Valid. Yep. This is one of the few times in media where I actually agree with someone withholding information yes. and I don't feel like it's a we're not going to tell everybody cuz we want there to be this big dramatic explosion and this time it felt like no, Buffy's making the right decision here. Um yeah, and I really like that she tells Giles, which again, I feel like is another choice that you don't normally see like a character go to someone they trust and make like rational choices. Like this is odd. What is going on? And no
3: part of me is scared that like Giles is going to say anything or that they're going to slip yeah. up or whatever, you know?
1: Also, this, this whole scene is just beautiful and one of my favorite moments ever. Um, but that shot where it like pans over to the two of them in the room, I love anytime they intend to do – or anytime they show characters talking in an intimate setting in another room because it just – it creates this feel of like they are – yeah, intimacy. Like they're talking together. Mm-hmm. They don't want anyone else to hear, but it's like a private moment between the two of them. You almost feel like you're intruding on, but it creates just like this this warm feeling. Um, and I gotta say, Giles is an absolute amazing father figure in this episode, mm-hmm. and they intentionally make him so oh, for sure. The fact that he asks Buffy what they should do and not him being like, well, well let's do this. And the parallel
3: between like, like Tara's dad and him. Yeah. And even he mentions like, oh, I thought I'd have like, a strong patriarchal role like later on in the episode. Um, I think actually in the next season. Yeah. But yeah, like
1: like they purposely do that in this episode. And then the choice to bring up Hank in this episode is intentional. We have not talked yes. about Hank in two seasons um, because it's about family and it's about the family you choose. Buffy has chosen Giles as her father figure. Not uh, Hank.
3: Him living the cliche, running off with the secretary. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense for him. Yep. Um, Or even just, like, the fact that, like, I mean, this whole season is about family, but even, like, coming right after the episode where Buffy chooses Mm -hmm. to be family for Dawn, even though she technically isn't her sister, is really beautiful. Like, having those back-to-back and then having these conversations where she's like, I remember when, like, our dad left, Dawn cried for a week, except she didn't. Um, And so that's just a very confusing time to be in. You're, like, trying to, like, process in your brain that this – Sister isn't my sister, but she is technically because these memories are real to me. Um, cue Florence Pugh monologue in <laughs> It was real Black to Widow. me. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> that's very thematic. And then we see Glory just like the last episode is in all the, the rubble pushes out <laughs> of it. Now she's and upset, like, guys.
1: Okay, now I'm upset. <laughs> she's like, you broke my shoe, messed up my hair. I'm out for blood. <laughs> My red dress I love that they make
0: Lori feminine. Like, they make her very woman. Like, she's very girly. Mm-hmm. Her hair is done. like, she has, like, attitude and, like, like just, I don't know. <laughs> so feminine. No, but I love it. Like, I mean, everyone has attitude. But her attitude is specifically very feminine. Like, uh, I love it. I love that, they, like, they made the most, like, powerful character that we've seen to date. Be so inherently woman. I love that.
2: And I will say, I, I do not know who she is. I don't know where she comes from. And I don't know where she goes. But <laughs> the little bit I have seen, I love her. She's like very entertaining. 10 out of 10 villains so far. Love her. The first time we watched this
3: episode, um, Catherine goes, who's that? I was like, <laughs> I know she's slays, huh? <laughs> best
1: villain, hands down, for sure. She's the best.
3: And she never loses that essence of like teetering the line of like, oh, you're really fun, but you're also freaking terrifying.
2: She never loses that the whole season. Yeah. I love it. See, that's the thing. I love she's in here. I love scary women. I love, I love scary women. <laughs> <laughs> Same. <laughs> It's very much like I am morally opposed to, like, most of what you're doing, but also you do it so well. <laughs> you look so good doing it. But also like as we
1: <laughs> Yeah, right.
3: So we see that Buffy is moving out of the dorm. We kind of catch glimpses to the fact that she's wanting to stay close by Joyce but moving back home. Um, even though we don't know exactly what's going on with Joyce, you can kind of tell that, like, Staying home is the best option, especially with what happened last episode. um anya's like bitter and annoyed about having to move her out a couple days after. And honestly, I, I would be so annoyed too. <laughs> nothing is worse than moving, <laughs> literally nothing. And then having to be a friend to help other friends move is also the worst. I'm like, can we all just like not ever move ever again? But then also within days of each other. That would freaking
1: suck. I get it, Anya. Anya is the Leah in this situation. She's over here like, this is the worst. Oh, but so much fun. As, you know, Buffy comes in.
3: <laughs> no, Leah Leah does not care to, to, to lie and say that's so much fun. She'll fully say, no, I'm having such so a horrible time doing
0: this. <laughs> I feel like if you're going to help someone, you don't have to lie about liking it. <laughs> like you not be there and be like, I'm here for you. But like, th- I hate moving.
2: That's because it's like yeah. obviously yeah. No, you're not fine. doing
0: it because you think it's fun. You're doing it because you love them.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like I love you enough to do something I hate. Yes,
1: exactly. Exactly, guys. I wrote in my notes. Oh man, I guess Buffy's college days are over. So sad. I'm heartbroken. <laughs> Honestly, every time oh, this episode sorry. rolls around, I'm like,
0: Yay! Move I'm back like, Thank home. God, move like move any chance of her meeting a new man. <laughs> <I'm> like please. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Riley is literally still here, Leah.
3: <laughs> I keep forgetting that he's still on the show. <laughs> <laughs> As he's wrestling Xander, this whole scene to me was just like, okay, guys, let's throw in the obvious, like, family energy, family, yep, scene. It's like we have Xander and Riley, the boys that are messing around, not really helping. We have Anya, who's annoyed because she doesn't want to be there. We have <laughs> we have Don walking who might be like, I don't need help. <laughs> <laughs> holding like three boxes <laughs> I was like "That is such a younger sibling thing to do be like look like I'm holding all this for you you can't even help me with it yeah and Giles standing and we'll around say- just like
1: pointing at things and not actually doing yes. anything
2: oh my gosh also Xander and Riley very much giving Ken's in the third act of Barbie in this scene <laughs> I thought this moment was really interesting because they're obviously
1: giving the family vibes and you have Tara observing them. And there's that one moment where she gives that joke that nobody gets and then- Intersect reflection. Yeah. Her insect reflection. You see- Yeah, that's what it is. You see it pan over and it shows literally everybody, with the exception of Willow who's out. Um, It shows them all just staring back at her. And I liked that because that is- a contrast to the end of the episode when you have all of them, including Tara, looking at her parents. So right now, she hasn't quite fully been accepted into the family, but by the end of the episode, she is. So I really liked – and there's a couple of like significant moments like that that um, some people are a part of and some people aren't, and we will discuss it. Before we move on from the scene,
3: though, the Dawns – some of your CDs are my CDs. (laughs) me laugh (laughs) the little jabs they have each other are just so quintessential siblings we find out tara's birthday is tomorrow and then they're having a little party thing at the bronze um to which it seemed like the gang either didn't know about it or forgot about it either way is that's sad yeah um but they're like of course we'll go um, and then we jump back over to the hospital. A continuation for last episode as well. We see more people that seem to have their um, souls or their whatever sucked brains, out of them. Brains. More crazy people. <laughs> and then Ben is like, "Oh, hey, let me pop in for two seconds." Go Why to do the they keep showing this and dude? completely disappear? I just and it was like slow. And I know this will be obviously. Three out of four of us know where this is going, but like. <laughs> Like, it, it, the first time watching this, I thought for sure he'd die right here because it's so, light. like, it's, like, quiet and he's, like, changing. I'm like, okay, so when is someone going to pop out? Um, but they kind of do that little bit where it's, like, they pan over and you see Demon and you think that Ben's going to get got. And then all of a sudden, Glory pops up and you're like, why is Glory here? And then they
1: do, like, a cut mm-hmm. scene.
2: Well, so. That's... that's a, I I personally enjoyed it. Again, I have no context for this season. But I was like, mm-hmm. oh, that's a cool fake out. Oh, it's, like... It also, in my mm-hmm. mind, yeah. I'm, like it communicated to me like oh she's a monster to the monsters she's like Mm -hmm. the big bad for big bads yeah,
1: he also is the grossest demon I've ever seen on the show. He's got like a bloody nose, <laughs> and Glory and grabs him by the bloody nose. I was like, Glory! Oh, he has cute opening sores, Sarah. Oh, oh yeah. That? Yeah, the c- cutest oozing <laughs> sores. Um <laughs> yeah. I like I like the way she talks. She's like, you have the cutest opening sores. Has anyone ever told you that? Like the way that she talks oh, is just But she says it's so like endearing yeah. too. Like mm-hmm. her performance is so great. But they intentionally made this demon really ugly and ridiculous looking because at the end they want him to be a visual reminder to Tara that this is what you could look like. This is what a demon looks like. Yeah, they really chose the ugliest demon
3: in this episode to really put forth His that, tongue, like know, point.
1: like You're like, okay, Tara, oh. I think
2: you're going to be okay. We've seen Anya's face, <laughs> if okay? I Tara, if i if you're
1: so thankful, well, I'd be like, oh, thank
0: God I'm not an ugly demon.
2: Um, if anyone listening is a Dario fan, I feel like <laughs> gloria gives me very much uh quinn vibes in a very specific daria episode mm-hmm. where she's sort of m- not necessarily mocked partly mocked but also like analyzed and given a character stutter for her study or her vanity because quinn is this character where she's like very typical teenage girl very popular very like trendy and does kind of talk like that and there's this scene where she goes like do i have cute pores my pores are so small (laughs) it literally reminds me of that i'm like "Mm." again i'm also not surprised that like this character's name is glory i'm like this is all fitting this is all like this is gelling i'm interested Mm -hmm. i want to see where she where (laughs) she goes
1: I'm on her side. There are very obvious parallels to Glory and Buffy in this episode. I felt like it was slightly nodded at in the previous episode when Glory was introduced. But in this episode, both Buffy and Glory make comparisons uh, without even realizing it. Uh, when Glory is describing Buffy and Buffy is describing Glory, they actually both describe blonde hair and how annoying they think the other person is, which is interesting because Glory is a reflection of an aspect of Buffy, which we'll discuss as Well, we even like move the way they
0: interact and fight is very similar. Like it's mm-hmm. it's high energy, but they they always stop for quips and jabs and like
1: – Yeah.
3: It's almost like a, I'm going to let you m- misunderstand me. And then I'm going to take advantage of that. Re- yeah.
2: It's <laughs> yeah. like I'm going to be fun, feminine, and flirty. And if you underestimate that, that's your you're fault. Gonna,
3: exactly. It's a you're weapon. You're going to underestimate me and then yep. I will I will obliterate you when you least expect it. It's mm-hmm. very smart. Right. It's very Elwoods Woods of them. Mm-hmm um <laughs> just all these barbies the OG Again, Barbie. So Barbie. Um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> for real <laughs> um so at the magic shop we have anya at the register good for her she's like i have a place in this world now i'm a part of the system Aww. and i will say xander and anya's like they're so couple cute chemistry this episode was really cute like i feel like this is the first time i've seen them like this like affectionate and like um, also jokey with each other like uh, Buffy and Xander come in and then um, I, I didn't write it down shoot I don't know what he says do you know what he says
2: uh, I'm here to buy some sugar and she yeah. says uh, your patronage is appreciated or something like that
3: it's crazy how likable Xander
0: <laughs> can be when you yeah. stop being annoying and misogynistic also
1: <laughs> also I gotta say Nicholas Brendan as Xander is looking really good too. Like the shirts that he's wearing aren't so His bad. His hair, the length. You can tell. I was
2: like, do I yeah. like Xander? In this <laughs> that's what the heck?
3: And just for preface, Catherine watched like maybe the first up until like halfway through season two, which is oh, the I worst hate. part of Xander. I,
2: I so that's, that's the thing. I was like, what is wrong with me? <laughs>
1: he's looking good. He's feeling confident and assured. And that's the thing. Like, um, Anya is happier now than we've ever seen her before because she has purpose again. She has something that she's working towards. She feels like she's a part of something. And that's a big thing about this episode in the season. It's family, like feeling like you're a part of somewhere you belong. Um, And Xander's starting to feel better too because of his episode where he came into his own and stuff. But there's
0: also like there's nothing more attractive than a confident man who is so willing Mm -hmm. to show that he like cares for the person he's dating. Yeah. It's like, okay, like that's like you're
3: like you're you almost like want to cheer them on. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Me forgetting that he's just like the worst sometimes. I'm like, okay, Sander. (laughs) Oh, don't worry. I'm sure there'll be something
1: sooner or later.
2: Next (laughs)
3: episode I'll be like, oh, get off
2: out (laughs) of my
1: screen. I don't want to see you.
3: So the gang's talking about Tara's party and then um, Giles asks about Gloria says they need to figure out what and who she is and then they need to start researching. And then we get this conversation with Buffy and Xander where they're like, kind of what uh, Catherine was saying. They're like, we don't know much about her, but she's very kind. She's very sweet.
1: Basically what we all are thinking. we She's nice. Yeah, we don't know exactly. much about her.
3: Which is, this is a fair assessment because this is exactly what us viewers have seen too like that's as far as we could say about Tara. We're like we think she's cool, but there's that weird like, you know part in season four where she like sabotages a spell we have no idea about you know, we found out that this episode, but there's definitely parts of her that we haven't fully uh dove into yet mm-hmm. um. But And then they have this like obvious correlation between them talking about them being witches now and that's who they are and they're totally fine with it and like obviously that's like a metaphor for like them as a couple and like um, the friends they hang out with Mm -hmm. or whatever and how they, they don't quite get it.
0: It's honestly shocking that the network didn't cancel an episode like this because it's so overtly about Willow and Tara and Willow like their relationship and what it means like, for Tara to be lesbian. I'm not saying that...
3: It's the plausible deniability, though. Yeah. But you it's know? just
0: interesting because they were so sensitive about certain things that it's like, I'm surprised they were like, nah, like, didn't ex it. I'm not saying that they should have, but
1: it yeah. just surprises me. I do know that Joss had to fight tooth and nail for every bit of dialogue or scene where you showed any sort of physical affection we have not seen tara and willow kiss on screen as of this episode um so as long as they didn't have that uh that was considered like okay as long as joss kind of shrouded everything in metaphor um and so far i think they've done it beautifully i mean it's not overt but you know Mm -hmm. what's happening like it's not hard to to figure out what's happening
3: You still feel like the relationship is progressing without having Mm -hmm. to like really have those
1: conversations, which is really hard to do. It also forces Joss to write the relationship more normal, whereas I feel like a lot of the uh, queer characters I've seen that are token characters, like very obviously token characters on shows, are written in such a way that you're like, I don't feel like this is a fully fleshed out person. This is not how I feel like the average queer person would act. You know, just normally, and so because they weren't able to put as much stuff, they had to just show them in situations where, like, they're getting lunch together. They're doing, like, you know, they're just snuggling together, like you know? normal human things. Exactly, yes. right? <laughs> or even yeah. like,
3: like you're saying, so sometimes I'll watch shows and I'm like, I can't tell you anything about this character other than the fact of their sexuality, right. mm-hmm. and even the fact that everyone's sitting here saying. We don't know much about her other than the fact that she's really nice and sweet. That's the first thing that they go to. Mm-hmm. It's not that she's, you know, Willow's girlfriend or that she's lesbian or whatever mm-hmm. or that she's a witch. They mention the witch thing, but that's like the second or third thing they mention. Mm-hmm. They mention that she's kind and sweet because we've seen her just be normal. Like when I think of Tara, I don't think of like that token character. I just think of like I love Tara. She's so kind and i love what she brings
2: to mm-hmm. the show and the gang well i feel like it's it's kind of similar to um oh my gosh what was riley's like initiative oh, buddy forest Forrest forest, forest. <laughs> like i Ew. i kind of felt like he stood in there as like again i noticed him as like sort of like the black best friend mm-hmm. character which again is very like it it feels very akin to like tokenism Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of, especially with like LGBTQ issues becoming more and more prevalent, there's a lot of people just trying to like tick the inclusivity box. Mm-hmm. And as a result, they're just like, we're going to make it so obvious that this character is gay. Right. And there seems to be more an effort of like, not that like queer romance or like queer affection doesn't deserve to be normalized. Like, again, it's a part of people's lives, mm-hmm. but It's like it undoes the work of just trying to normalize queer people in themselves. Like queer people are people at the end of the day, they do Mm. go to lunch and they just get sandwiches and they, (laughs) you know, they are really cringy couples sometimes who tell each other bedtime stories and say little things Mm -hmm. like, Oh, you're not going to snuggle me. And you know, they put on their pants one leg at a time, like everyone else. Like, I feel Mm. like it, because, like again, he does have to be a little more sly with how he includes that into the plot. I, it does a better job, I would say, of mm-hmm. making these queer characters be seen as people first. Yes.
0: Well, and it also unintentionally alleviates a lot of fetishization of the two, except for Xander. But mm. <laughs> besides that, it's like, I feel like a lot of specifically lesbian characters... Get fetishized, and that's not their fault. But because Willow and Tara are so tame, it's like people are almost forced to look at them very innocently mm-hmm. because it is innocent, you know. They're they're just together, like that's it, you know.
1: People like to give Joss Whedon a lot of credit for how he wrote things and and how he did things on Buffy. Which, yes, he was. You know, instrumental in a lot of that. But what people don't realize is Joss did so well on Buffy in his writing of characters and his scenarios because he was forced into this box of you have a low budget and you're not allowed to show explicit scenes between queer characters. And it forced him to be more creative. Um, case in point, the comics. When Joss was given free range or Age of Ultron or Age of Ultron, a big,
0: big bug- budget. Oh my God. Big <laughs> Budget. <laughs> Big budget, <laughs>
1: Right. Well, when yes. he was given those things, um, he kind of went carte blanche and just kind of lost it because he was like, oh my gosh, explosions, blood, you know, what else, what else yeah. can I like? Or Justice League. Or the Justice League. Like he just kind of started falling on old cliches instead of actually sitting and thoughtfully writing out characters. And uh, I think Buffy would have been a very different show if he didn't have those parameters.
3: And I wonder if like having characters that are so upfront, like every single character being so upfront about their sexuality all the time can be damaging for kids growing up by being like, do I have to express myself this extreme in order to be like just accepted? Like mm-hmm. I can't – like is there ever a part of me that can just be and then also like someone of the same gender, you know, or like, like, I wonder, I'm not going to speak for that community because I'm not a part of it, but like, I wonder if that is ever something that is hard, like, like in trying to represent them, they end up like silencing a whole side of that community.
2: It, it, it 100% is. And I guess I'm going to bring up my experience now Uh, for those who are unfamiliar Um, I came out as bisexual when I was 16 and it was a whole thing. And something I struggled with growing up was there's a lot of, at least in popular media, bisexuals are seen as very like seductive and non-monogamous and a Mm -hmm. little like, like the sort of like vixen character. And it's like, I don't experience like my sexuality that way it's not like oh i have all this choice open to me i can't even decide i keep going back and forth between girls and boys it's like no Mm -hmm. it's more like it opened me up to like i recognized i have this ability and this attraction within me to experience romantic love with anyone regardless of their gender which i guess is more pan but at the time like bi was the big thing and that's what i Mm -hmm. clung to but that's like it, 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 very much felt like I had to always like be more shy about me because I don't want to be associated with like, s- like this super flirty, like down for anything stereotype. And also, like, I, again, and I think this also kind of goes back to, um, the conversation about Tara's body, especially being a woman interested in woman. And again, being bisexual and going, quote, unquote, both ways, there's this idea of like, oh, so you're down for anything. Like you, you're like, oh, we can like mm-hmm. bring anyone in or you're open to try anything. And it's like, no, no, I still have boundaries. I still desire a monogamous relationship. I'm still a very loyal and committed person. I just have the ability to or recognize the desire within myself to be committed to anyone, literally anyone. And I feel like within, again, going back to Tara's body issues, like, or not body issues, like Tara's perfectly fine body <laughs> that everyone else right. had issues with. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like, it's harder to, like, it's not too super hot. Like, you know, again, they are two super hot women, but they're not like the, the ideal of the time. It's not like, oh, two girls at a party making out. It's like, no. You're being forced to see this, again, very normal couple have a normal and very sweet relationship and you can't sexualize that. Oh no, it's annoying as a result. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, this is like, yeah, this is like healing my little queer heart a little bit.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Like, no, you know, you can have- And the
3: relationship is able to breathe because of that. You yes, know? it's like
2: you can have people experiencing like, again, the type of like, the type of normal, like, ups and downs that anyone has in a relationship. I feel like there's this idea that, you know, because there's no, like, in gay relationships, because there's no woman involved, or in lesbian relationships, because there's no man involved, there's this idea of, like, it just functions so differently from all other relationships. Like, we can't even conceive of it. And it's like, I know about, like, gay couples who have arguments over the same types of things. Like, in-laws are still a problem for everyone, you know, moving, pets, paying bills on time. Like, again, these are people living lives. They're just doing relationships and intimate relationships a little differently than you.
1: Mm-hmm. We all feel the same emotions. We all bleed blood, you know?
2: Yeah. yeah. Again. Pants on one leg at a time. Yeah, right. I jump into mine
1: uh, two legs (laughs) at a time. So I don't know about you.
2: I fall to the ground every day (laughs) and rise on the floor until my pants are on.
1: Also, same. Yes. All right, and then we have this scene. There's a couple scenes in here that I'm like, oh, we just had this beautiful episode. The Buffy uh, one. I know. Like oh we're going to have this beautiful
3: episode about like this huge like theme and then it's like let's just throw in this whole like buffy and spike completely dehumanizing sex buffy. Dream. Yeah,
2: yeah, I was going to ask what that is about. <laughs>
3: No one knows.
1: Fair question. <laughs> so, for context, the episode before, no, two episodes before, Spike had a sexy dream about Buffy and realizes that he's in love with her. But now he's been doing creepy things. He bought this mannequin that has blonde hair and he simultaneously kicks it, but then also strokes its hair. It's supposed to represent he's Buffy. He's pulling a phantom from Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. And so he's obsessed with her when he's clearly in a relationship with Harmony. And for Spike, sex and violence and love are. Are all the same thing to him. So this is like it's a all version of to him foreplay. Yeah, I read this Ew. review actually. They said that they think if Buffy hit Spike hard enough, he'd probably ejaculate. <laughs>
2: He <laughs> definitely had <have> a boner <laughs> he for sure
3: would have a boner absolutely and i was like yeah that's crass and i it also true. want to murder her at the same time yeah because yeah. it's all the same it's all of it it's all the same yeah,
1: yeah. also the drama he's very confused the drama her throwing him back i was like am i watching a soap this green <laughs> oh yeah he's been watching too much passions her throwing back <laughs> yeah. into this uh green chair and his like you know, shaking back and forth. It's actually canon, Catherine. He does watch Passion. So oh, it's like my God. Yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> and Dawson's Creek. The episode that he found out yep. that he was in love with Buffy, he was like, oh, Pacey, you blind idiot. Can't you see she doesn't love you? And I was like, yeah, well, foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> and then it cuts to him and Harmony. Poor harmony. And then he, she's like, what are you thinking? He goes, all about you, baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's
3: so naive. Oh. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, uh, we go back to the magic shop and then we have, oh yeah, so T- Giles is like talking to them about like what to get or they're talking about what to get Tara tonight and they're like, oh, what are you going to get? And then he's like, you guys are in a magic shop. You can't think of one thing to get a witch. And, and they're like, oh, what are we going to get her? Like crystal ball. And he's like, well, you better not. I already have mine wrapped. <laughs> <laughs> We're all going to get her the same thing. <laughs> I'm dead. And it it's uh, well, we'll get there actually. I'm not gonna say that. Um, and then Tara comes in with Willow and I love that like Willow's actually like, listening and trying to
1: understand her joke from earlier and like gets it. I'm like, oh, at least you two get it. You don't you forgot about creepy Donnie who um Giles' douchebag meter was completely going off during this entire scene. You could see him being like, um oh my gosh, what are touching doing books? Here? I'd be like,
3: Can you not? Well, yeah, Giles is pretty <laughs>
1: much about ready to throw hands. Uh Donnie being all like, so are you all witches? Hey, don't do a spell me. Is very giving. uh, Don't turn me gay. (laughs) Yeah, don't touch me. You're gonna
2: infect me. Yeah. I will also say, looking at Tara's family, there's, I literally had like the Malfoy quote, like red hair and hand-me-down clothes. You
1: must be (laughs) a (laughs)
2: Weasley. They do all kind of look alike, don't they? Very hillbilly coated as well. Very redneck. Yeah, the southern accent. Also,
3: um amy adams question mark question mark question mark
2: yeah little baby amy
1: this and then her being in the office i'm like hello like uh, it's so random she had only been acting for about two years at this point and she was two years away from hitting it big with um now you see i think it's now catch me if you can or now you see me now you don't i don't remember it's the one with leonardo dicaprio that was her big catch, break. Me, if catch me if you can okay thank you it's really sad that tara stutter comes back Like, we haven't seen that that. in a while.
3: (laughs) Well, and then the awkward, like, hugs, like, the dad comes in, and it's, like, the whole, like, should-be hug, and then Mm -hmm. uh, the poor thing is, like, shut down immediately. She doesn't
2: introduce Boyolo. It reminded me of, um, have any of you seen or read uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest? Yes. Yeah. It reminds me of the, um, I forget his name, but the character who has the very tragic end, um... The young man who um, his mother is friends with Nurse Ratchet, who has the stutter. And then when they have the big uh, Christmas celebration in one floor of the cuckoo's Nest and he's like they're gassing him up and they're like like basically treating him like an equal for the first time, probably in his life, he loses the stutter. and then the moment Nurse Ratchet walks back in, it comes back immediately. And it made me think of that a little bit. Cause that's oftentimes like stuttering and a lot of, um a lot of speech impediments. Some of them are just natural again. Cause like people are born with, you know, sometimes you just never l- learn how to use your tongue or like just the shape of your mouth is a little different. But then for a lot of people, um impediments that are developed are usually like a coping, like it's a stressor. So when the, When the birth of your trauma walks back in, it is common for you to continue to go back to those like coping mechanisms. It's sort of a way of your brain being like, I'm not confident enough to speak, even though I know I'm supposed to respond with something back. And your brain, it comes out as as a stutter or with a lisp or whatever it might be. There's a line that was cut out
1: where her brother said that Tara wasn't too social back when I don't think she spoke till she was eight. But I
3: think again, it's supposed to be like we silenced her, like that's what it is like in around them, like she's physically and like emotionally and everything like just silenced by them.
2: and again, like I would say very like embarrassed and apologetic about her existence, yes. and I feel like that is shown here like it again she she apologizes, she goes back to using sir, she is speaking more quietly and even like. Less consistently, less understandably than normal.
1: So, Amy Adams is actually one of seven kids and grew up Mormon. And there's this quote of hers that I found that was pretty interesting. She says, I grew up as a Mormon, and that had more of an impact on my values than my beliefs. I'm afraid I will always feel the weight of a lie. I'm very hard on myself anyway. Religious guilt carries over too. You can't really misbehave without feeling badly about it. At least I can't. And I just like thought about that in. Like with this role and stuff, and I wonder, I wonder if she resonated somewhat with the character of Beth and what she um, is going through and stuff. And even with Tara, it's just interesting.
3: Well, it's funny that you say that. Like you feel like at least the boys are one dimensional because to me, Beth is the most interesting I agree. character out of the three. I agree, and mm-hmm. even her performance, the rage that she feels is like the way that she does it is like a like it it, it feels very layered like Mm -hmm. her anger is like it's like this angry of like 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 don't leave me alone i'm mad at you um and then just kind of like this like internalized misogyny Mm -hmm. but then also like this internalized like anger of having no control and she's taking that out on tara for taking her control back um and even at the end that that face that she gives at the very end when she's like Like in her head being like, I have to go with them. But being like, it's like almost her like being like, oh, like that like glass is shattered. But like she has no way in her
1: self of getting out
3: in that moment.
1: Yeah. They made Beth, first of all, was the intentional choice to cast a very soft-spoken, like quieter, uh, more feminine, I guess, cl- uh, classically feminine woman to play that role. And so when you see her, you're like, oh, she's submissive. She's demure. But Beth is actually the more vicious of the three. To Tara in what she says, and even the words but that she uses. Only used. when
3: it's with her and Tara alone, though, and even like even when they're outside the campus later on, it's only when she says like "you selfish bitch" to Tara when no one is around to hear it. And even when the boys leave and she's by herself, and she's like, "Are you happy now?" Like she says that when the boys aren't even in the room. And it's be- again, again, it's because it's like she's a lot more silenced when the boys are around. But then she's showing her anger around Tara.
2: I was going to say, it also, it reminds me a lot of like internalized misogyny and how if you truly buy into that system, your value comes from fulfilling that, basically fitting the box as best you can. That small box that like everything within this predestined box is womanhood. It becomes a competition of being the best Fitting person for that mold, it's like, oh, you, you slovenly whore! You can't come home and help your dad and brother who have to do the effeminate <laughs> tasks of ha- like home care. Uh, right? Like you are so bad at being a woman.
1: Uh, I was cracking up um, at Xander and Buffy giving each other the. We'll talk about this later. Look, it is so us at yes. family functions. <laughs> For real, we'll be talking about that in a minute.
3: (laughs) I can make like it's like um, unnoticed by the human eye, other than like Lee and I. I can give her like a half a second glance, and it'll be so quick, and we'll both be like, "Yeah, (laughs) we'll be on the same wavelength. We'll know exactly what we're talking about."
0: It also resonates with the fact that like Tara doesn't have that. She doesn't have a person. Yeah. To be in that mess with. And I think that that's what's so hard is that her family, it's like a whole unit against her. You have like her sibling, and then you have like another female. Yes. Like she, she is alone. She's isolated. There is, there's no one around her. Like at least like if you've grown up with siblings, like you know, at any point, like as much as it was a family unit, a lot of times it would turn into like sibling unit, like siblings protecting each other and like figuring out something and stuff and so it's like i look at tara and i just am like oh like she doesn't have anyone like because she's not letting anyone fully see her because the people who have fully seen her have
3: betrayed her trust yeah i'd run away to college too <laughs> if i had no one. Oh my gosh yeah no she's a lot nicer than i am so the dad leaves by saying okay we'll have dinner tonight i'll pick you up at six um and then we jump back into, um, the Summers' house. And kudos to Riley for helping unpack while she was gone. But then is like immediately like I like when you owe me favors. What a good okay, house husband weirdo.
1: unpacking. Yeah, he's doing all the effeminate jobs. What a good Ken for Barbie <laughs> over here. <laughs> I literally had written in my notes cuz I didn't remember the impactor stuff. I was like, "What is Riley doing all day? Is he the stay-at-home parent to Dawn? Is he just chilling in Buffy's room?" And then he was like, "I impact your stuff." And I was like, "Oh, he's the house husband. Gotcha."
3: <laughs> We're like, "Oh, where where does Riley live?" I don't know. <laughs> that's very barbie coated Yeah, that's right. He's so Ken. Oh, love, love you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Dawn going, "All right, I'll see you guys later." She just marches straight past. his so younger sibling. <laughs>
3: And then I feel like this is so hard because, like, from Riley's perspective, he's like, oh, is there something I'm missing? Because he doesn't know that, like, Dawn's, like, literally not even existing <laughs> in proper form. Um, and then Buffy's trying to protect her by being like, you can't leave. But for him, he's like, oh, why is Buffy, like, so, like, controlling like Dawn in this Melinda's moment? Melinda's a
1: bad influence. I don't like you hanging out with someone that short. I was uh-huh. like, justice for Melinda, man.
3: <laughs> I just... Can we talk about the fact, though, like, if I had a boyfriend and this happened to me with Dawn or whatever, and I only told Giles and I didn't even cross my mind to tell my boyfriend, that would tell me a lot about my relationship. Yeah. I feel like I would, like, I don't know. Like, I'm a slayer. He knows essence of my job. Like, I should be able to trust him enough to tell him my sister actually isn't real, you know? Don't you? I don't know. Don't you think he would be the second person you'd tell
2: Personally, yes. But at the same time. <laughs> if it's Riley, I, no. <laughs> y- Yeah. It's like, yes, I agree that, like, your partner should be the person that, like, again, should be your confidant, should be the one doing life with you. But at the same time, what I have seen of Riley, um, which is admittedly not a lot, hasn't been like a, this guy can handle. Less you know, complicated information so well. Like that's not, when I think of that, I don't think of Riley.
3: (laughs) (laughs) You're correct in thinking that.
2: Yeah,
1: I go back and forth. Um, So Pasha Leonard pointed this out and I think I referenced it back in season four and it's especially obvious in Hush, but Willow and Tara's relationship uh, started around the same time as Buffy and Riley's. So they're often seen as the inverse of each other. Um, in Hush, you see Riley and Buffy struggling to communicate and like work well and fighting together. They're, they're not doing well in communication versus Willow and Tara. All they have to do is clasp hands and both instantly know how to move that, um, snack machine. In front of the door and at the very end of the episode they're communicating they're doing great Whereas buffy and riley are just sitting there not sure what to do And so they continued that a little bit going on into season four and into season five showing how as willow and tara were just they're starting to communicate so much better and it's a partnership Buffy and riley really struggle with that and I think this episode highlights that um, they're the inverse of each other um, but specifically for this this moment so The episode, again, is framing Buffy as in the wrong for not telling Riley, but I personally kind of get why she isn't. We saw in Restless that she's not sure if she can trust him, especially with when it comes to the initiative. Um, she's not sure what he's going to do with the initiative and him bringing them up in this in this moment. One is supposed to refer to his family, uh, the fact that he doesn't have one, but also Buffy's sitting there going, if they take her, what did they do with, with Oz? And, and Riley was kind of on board with that initially. They will do experiments. They'll take her away and she can't trust them. And so I think there's a part of Buffy that doesn't trust Riley. And like you guys were saying, like that's a big problem. If you can't fully trust your partner, you need to really evaluate why you're with them. Um, And yeah, I don't know. My frustration is I know that Buffy has a habit of not opening up to people and the show paints that as wrong. She does process things alone. She should open up to people. But in the past, That hasn't been received well. I think of Doomed with Riley. I think of Go Fish with the Scoobies, becoming with her mom. She still should try to be vulnerable, absolutely. But the problem is, the show is using a very bad example and saying that Buffy is in the wrong, whereas Buffy has every justifiable reason to not tell him about Dawn. Um, But then at the end of the day, if you're not happy, Riley, just leave.
0: (laughs) But also, I hate this mentality that just because you're in a relationship, it means you have to share, like,
1: everything every
0: single piece of information you get everything like Great. there is a certain amount where you need to open up and like dive like divulge um a part of you if you want your relationship to flourish but it's also like some things like it's okay if you have like something that's private especially if it's like about your family like
2: i don't i think that's mm-hmm. okay like and she mm-hmm. also just learned it Well, something that I think is actually a big part of this episode as a whole is that in order to be loved, you have to be known. And Mm -hmm. the more known you are, the more completely you can be loved. But that not everyone is always able to hear hard truth gently. And again, Mm -hmm. I feel like we see that through Tara and through the found family and her blood family, where her, the gang, her found family, like, the more they learn about her, the more they're able to completely love her. And even though at one point the father says that, like, oh, you know, the fam, your family loves you no matter what. And it's like, no, because you're trying to separate a fundamental part of this person from themselves. You're saying, we love you, even though we think you are wrong and broken, versus the gang is like, we love you for every single part of you. Mm-hmm. Like, even, even when they thought she was still a demon, like for those few seconds near the end, they were like, no, you are family. You almost got us killed trying to hide yourself from us, but we forgive you and we're glad mm-hmm. to know you completely. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing in a relationship, in any sort of relationship. And that's also what true intimacy is. It is one, knowing that you can be completely honest with who you are, what you're experiencing, what you have experienced, what you want, what you desire. And you are with someone who is able to hear even the more difficult truths gently and accept you for them.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to your point, Leah, I think this show is, Joss is doing a fairly good job with what he has of showing both sides because the episode actually Um, does validate Buffy in a way by the next scene with Riley where he's going to a demon bar. He's purposely putting himself in danger. And in the episode before we had Buffy saying that she didn't want Riley patrolling with her because he's human and she's afraid he's going to get hurt. Buffy knows Riley and she knows he's going to go throw himself in these situations that are dangerous. And so by withholding the information about Dawn, she's trying to protect Riley. Um, and that's validated by the fact that Riley does exactly what she fears he's going to do. He runs to this demon bar and we'll see more of that in the next episode. So come back next time, guys.
3: Um, so we kind of end the scene where he is like, You got a lot in your mind, you decide you want to let me in on any of it. I'll come running. She's get
1: your own life, Riley. It's not her fault you're miserable. <laughs> <laughs> like, come on. You're literally in her room just doing her stuff. Like, go find your own thing. Again, very, very Ken coded. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very
2: much like you are more than your girlfriend.
3: Yeah. But not well, Ryan like, Gosling. So get off my screen. Riley just strikes me as a type where it's like.
0: Buffy would have, like, scheduled plans to go out with friends. And he's like, okay, like, have fun. Like, you know, if, if you want to come home early. And not like my plans of his own. And then ends up, like, guilt tripping his girlfriend into staying back because he'll be <laughs> lonely or he'll miss her. But he never explicitly asked her to stay. Mm-hmm. So she's like, no, it's my choice. It's my choice. Mm-hmm. And then slowly but surely he monopolizes all of her time because he's just never allowing her to live. Her life mm-hmm. because he doesn't have one, so therefore he just yep. expects her to to adapt. Her it's like, ugh, I can't.
1: Um, this is in Tara's room, Tabby. <laughs> I was about, to,
3: I was literally about to say
1: so. Now in Tara's room,
3: Tara's room, mm-hmm. not Sarah. Tara, <laughs> breaking down. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Um, so her dad is literally already in there and the I'm so triggered
1: <laughs> so not the crystal dildo the subtext is so <laughs> close to the surface right now Kath- <laughs> Catherine
3: and I were like so triggered watching this scene together both of us were like oh, don't touch no, I it I literally had the closet.
2: I was like oh <laughs> <laughs> well
3: him already being there and, and perceiving all of her witchy stuff touching everything as like you don't even try and hide it anymore I mean this subtext is quickly becoming like just straight text mm-hmm. yeah like
2: this um, is, what sub all text Yeah,
3: <laughs> the sub left the building it's no longer in the room with us
2: is the sub in the room with us I don't think so <laughs>
3: yeah I don't think so they left <laughs> um, and then he's like thought if we'd let you go you'd get it out of your system Ooh.
2: again every line yeah. in this particular scene I was like yeah. oh just twist knew the what knife what they were doing
3: mentions that it's her birthday and when she turns 20, that's the age when her mother went through the same thing. But they don't mention Mm -hmm. specifics. Again, they don't mention specifics, but it's, again, believable because in her brain, she's almost looking for, like, reasons to affirm what she's been told her whole life. Mm -hmm. Like, And, like, I feel like when you have trauma like that, Um, Not necessarily in the exact same way, but like for me, like growing up, I had to really struggle with being like anytime someone I would believe anyone would anything that anyone would say that was negative about me, even if like I deep down didn't fully believe I was that person, like my default was trained in me to be like, they're correct. I am this person. And even people who don't even really know you, like her dad doesn't actually know her. Like, and that's even shown by how she's physically uncomfortable around him. It's, it's like body language tells a lot. Like if you feel like you can't even just like relax around somebody, there's no way that you're able to be like emotionally intimate with them.
2: That's Um, why I said, like you can tell Tara has internalized the fear so completely. Like, and I mean, obviously in the end, it's revealed to entirely be a farce, but in the scene, we're supposed to take it literally like this is a real threat. And she perceives herself as that threat. She's like, she's like, what if it's not really? What if it's not evil? Like it doesn't feel evil. And he says, again, because it's the it's a it's a closed system. And it's a perfect system if you don't look outside, but the whole evil never does. Like that line hit, oh, that hurts so bad. It's She's literally being encouraged. She's like, anything that you think that differs from us, that is inherently evil. And the fact that you think it proves yes. that you are evil too.
3: It keeps her contained. And then he cancels Zinner. Like after that, <laughs> he just like comes and just like affirms his opinion of her by just observing what's in her room and then goes all right that's it i'm gonna leave we're not not doing dinner anymore Mm -hmm. um and tells her that they're gonna be gone tomorrow um and then he oh gosh before he leaves he's like your family loves you no matter what which Mm -hmm. is that's the hook line and sinker Mm -hmm. right there that's usually what would get her to come back and says how do you think your friends are gonna feel when they see your true face gosh this man is like like he's really been working at this nine to five <laughs> gaslighting job her entire life and has it down. Like he's like
2: the CEO of this. No. And, and that's the thing. Like I, as much as like, obviously we think of love as like this ultimate good. um, But in reality, like, yes, true love, like genuine, you know, the genuine desire for someone's l. El- like for the betterment of someone else and for like finding pride in their accomplishments and patience with their flaws, like true genuine love is a awesome and healing force, Mm -hmm. but it's also a desire that we all have. We want to be known like that. We want to have people who are proud of us and people who are excited Mm -hmm. for our existence to the point where like in this example, it's a perfect example of it being treated like, a carrot on the end of a string to string, like just pull her along. Like if you comply, if you come back, like, yes, we know you did run off, but we still love you. Even though you are so evil. And even though you left us, and even though you did all these terrible things, just recant and we will love you. And you will live a perfectly safe life under our quote unquote protection.
3: And I, I I'm not um, willing to get to know the person that you are. I'm just willing to reaffirm what I th- want you to be. Exactly. And what I view you as. Exactly. Yeah, Again, that's it's, the same thing.
2: That's why I said like the two sides really are like, it's fear. It's approaching the difference of a loved one in fear and approaching the difference of a loved one with curiosity are the two sides you find.
3: Um, so what we're assuming is Glory's apartment. Um, we have the demon tied up and we have Glory having this fabulous like walk-in closet that's massive and um, Glory finds out by talking to this demon because they speak the same language, obviously, <laughs> um, that she was
1: fighting a slayer
3: and how embarrassing for her because that's so incredibly common.
1: I love that the demon's falling asleep while she's literally lecturing him. <laughs> and she was like, I am great and I am beautiful. And when I walk in the room, all eyes turn to me because my name is a holy name and you will listen. I was like, snap.
3: <laughs> you have the cutest separating sores. Girl knows her worth. <laughs> um, and then back in – Tara. Yes,
1: Tara's room. room. Well done. <laughs> <I'm> scared.
3: <laughs> right there with
0: you, Tabi. I'm like at this point they're in a dorm. Go back. I'm sorry, guys. Go. I can't tell the yeah, difference. Yeah, you can. Go they back look and the look. Same to go me. back
1: and look. You can tell the but difference. I don't care. I don't oh, care to go back
3: in a flash. In a flash, they look the same. <sighs> agree with
1: me? So
0: sad. <laughs> not even in a flash. I think it's just like in my mind they're always together. So I'm like, they must share rooms. <laughs> Thank they you. must share they rooms. They also have similar
1: aesthetics. Well, and also, who you are their roommates? Who
0: are their roommates? Exactly. They don't they have, have roommates. Liza talked
1: about it. Oh my word. They have not said
0: so. <laughs> that mean I get it. That means <laughs> I get it. Jeez, you guys <laughs> live in your own little state
1: of Delulu. Good grief.
3: <sighs> this isn't Delulu. These are fictional characters. <laughs> Um, Willow comes in and tells her uh, they need to do another spell to see um, or to catch the demons, remember the one they did in the middle of season four, um, in order to catch glory. And Tara is like, um, I'm going to pass. Um, <laughs> and then she's like, hey, like my family's here and not everything is about your friends and stuff. And I'm like, I'm um, honestly on Tara's side for this one. Like She yeah. has been like only ever hanging out and helping willow with her friends and like happily doing so but it's like Mm -hmm. like not everything is or should be about that you know especially Mm -hmm. like this girly is on the verge of like cracking (laughs) Mm -hmm. and like if this is her version of like snapping I'm like dang can i be friends with her like (laughs) like this is her version of like putting up a boundary she was so nice about it willow apologizes Um, And then Tara says, well, I'm just tired. And then Will leaves and Tara takes out her own spell book. Um, So Tara's intention for doing this spell so that they wouldn't see her demon side. But we see later on that she accidentally does a spell so they're not able to see any demon. Um, And then we go to a demon bar, the one that Willie used to work at, and they kind of make a
1: comment here that's like, well, Willie's not here, but we're assuming that he's just probably not going to come back. The bartender says something pretty interesting. He says, you shouldn't be coming here, man. You got to rep with these monsters, yet you come in here night after night. You looking to get killed? So this is not the first time that Riley has Mm -hmm. gone to this demon bar. Riley's apparently been coming here for weeks now, which – Again, like I said earlier, this validates what Buffy was saying earlier, and it also shows that Riley's putting himself in dangerous situations for a specific reason. So we're supposed to show that Riley's feeling like an outsider in this episode, and it's interesting how, in season four, the Initiative referred to themselves as a family, and this episode is an entitled family. But the Initiative's now been disbanded, so. The decision to have Riley in Willie's is not in, is intentional. Do you guys remember the last time we were in Willie's place in season four? Wasn't it
0: Riley who found Buffy in there and was like judging her? He's yes. like, you interact with vampires and blah, 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 blah. Yep. So It incredible. was Riley's
1: mental breakdown episode. It was Goodbye, Iowa, the same episode that Tara hijacked that spell with Willow, interestingly enough. So mm. – Yeah, there's that episode again. So Buffy goes to Willie's and talks to Willie about trying to find the Pulgara demon because Maggie had just been killed. And at that point, they're thinking the Pulgara demon did it. They didn't know about Adam's existence. That's also the episode that Adam reveals himself to the Scooby gang. So Willie and Buffy have a conversation where Willie talks about bringing class to the place with his sign. So this moment where the, the bartender says that... Uh, Or Riley says, I come for the ambiance. What can I say? The place just reeks of class is supposed to be a reference to that line that Willie said over there. Um. So it was also the episode where Riley has his mental breakdown due to finding out that Maggie was trying to kill Buffy, and his whole world gets shaken up. Um, and he's he's confused. He's not sure who to believe due to everyone giving him different stories. And then he also is going through drug withdrawals. So Riley follows Buffy to Willie's place, and he gets angry at her for socializing with demons. And then he confronts Buffy and says, "Tell me who you are, really. Tell me who you really are." And there has been this common thing where. Riley is not comfortable with Buffy's Slayer side. So then he threatens to take Willie back to be tested on by the white coats to see if he's actually human. And he begs Buffy for the truth, pulls a gun on a human woman, and then freaks out asking Buffy what's happening to him. So putting all of that in perspective, do you think Buffy should tell Riley about Dawn?
3: But she doesn't know he's going there. But I think it's it's telling that she doesn't because I don't yes. think
1: that she trusts him enough with that side right. of her. Exactly. So it's also the episode where Buffy gives Riley her bandana and it ends with him being utterly alone in the hospital bed, the initiative, and he's clinging to his that bandana, almost like him clinging to the one thing that grounds him. And we had discussed in that episode about how not only did Maggie drug Riley, but she psychologically manipulated him. Uh, Tara's family is... Psychologically manipulating her as well. So there's that parallel there. But Riley became so utterly dependent on Maggie. And then now that he didn't have Maggie in Goodbye, Iowa – and now here in this episode, he's starting to lean on Buffy in a way that isn't healthy and is possibly codependent. Shown by her coming home and he's in her house undoing doing her things, putting stuff away, Riley doesn't have his own life. Riley's identity has been completely swallowed up in this relationship with her. And because Buffy has a life apart from him and outside of him, he's feeling insecure. And so we're seeing the fruition of all of this. Um... Because he's leaned on her for so long, his insecurities are taking over. Not to mention the fact that he's never really been comfortable with the whole concept of demons or anything other – like as anything other than bad. So to have him tempted by a female vampire is fascinating. He has issues with women, but he also hates demons. And here is someone who reflects both of those things. And he's actively seeking out dangerous situations. So having him go back to Willie's is supposed to remind us of all of that that stuff that's happened before and kind of give us a little bit of an insight into his head. Um, and then the song that's actually playing on the jukebox right now is called Tears in Your Eyes by Yola Tango. And the lyrics are literally this. You tell me summer's here and the time is wrong. You tell me winter's here and your days are getting long. Tears are in your eyes tonight. You tell me you haven't slept in days. You tell me sleeping only makes you tired. Tears are in your eyes. Tears are in your eyes every night. Although you don't believe me, you are strong. Darkness always turns into the dawn, and you won't even remember this for long when it ends all right. So (laughs) the lyrics are foreshadowing that like this is coming to an end. Not that we didn't see the writing on the wall, Um, but it's just they're not being subtle.
3: Even the fact that he in like he entertains this full on conversation with Sandy too, yeah, I'm like and buys her a drink. I'm like, this is a little odd to me. Like, I I'm not saying he cheated here. I'm just saying like the fact that he like entertains it for like a long period of time. He's
1: tiptoeing. Yeah, he's yeah. gonna crack. Um. Also, then I think we've said this before, but the vampire Sandy is the one who was turned by vampire Willow in Doppelgangerland, which is just kind of crazy to see it all come full circle
0: just i have nothing nice to say like it's just (laughs) he's just such a hypocrite yeah like the the things that he gets mad at buffy he ends up doing it himself but in ways that he can't handle so it's ultimately like there's just no way that this ends up good for buffy like i see this kind of stuff and i'm like obviously no spoilers but like even apart from that it's like looking at this scene it's like like clearly this is going to be bad for Buffy because mm-hmm. she already has to clean up so many of his messes. But it's just like <laughs> any anytime any of the Scoobies, because Xander has done this kind of stuff too, and it's it always irritates me because it's just like they put themselves in harm way and who is the one who inevitably has to go mm-hmm. and save them or clean it up. And it's it's always Buffy. At, at least Xander would usually do it to try and help someone or save someone. Like whereas like, Riley is just doing it because he's a little weenie, like, and wants to prove that he's valuable. It's it's so interesting because in this episode, you have a contrast between um, Riley and Tara having the same kind of innate insecurity. Like, they're not bringing enough. But Tara is handling it in this way of, like, I, I want to bring value. And, like, she's trying to better herself and, and bring things to the table. Whereas... Like, Riley is going out, putting himself in harm's way and doing all these stupid things. And it's just, like, it's it's so interesting to see how two different personalities and two different people mm-hmm. are.
2: And not just that, in the conversation with Buffy earlier, uh, when she was back in the house with Dawn after moving home, his only help, the only way he could identify being useful was to go to the initiative. Mm-hmm. It proves that he hasn't been able to move past it, really. Yep. Like, again, like you're more than your girlfriend and you're more than your former Mm -hmm. job. And I understand that in this world, especially once you do have knowledge of vampires and demons and everything, that you feel that you should do something about it. Like these are very immediate threats. And I understand feeling pressure to be active in handling them, but he cannot fathom any other way of being useful. He really Mm -hmm. can't, like he cannot fathom developing Uh, any other sense of self than like Mm -hmm. him being the soldier and him fighting demons and vampires. And like, again, Tara is, she's again, dealing with this whole like other complicated side of like identifying with the evil, but she is also trying to do like the best she can with what she's got. And it feels more like Riley is grieving, understandably, But he's become embittered a little bit in his grief of that. Like it's still, he's still trying to hold on to it in some way.
1: Tara's spell was ultimately so that she could be accepted by the Scoobies, so she could continue living life with them. Riley going off to this bar is him isolating himself completely.
2: Mm -hmm. Um, And it also feels, uh, it feels like Tara's is to protect the group, and Riley's is to prove something to himself.
3: So, in the crypt, we have Harmony coming back from shopping, um, and she tells Spike that she bumped into a demon friend of theirs, and he told them that the crowd of whatever type of ugly opening sword demons are about to go kill Buffy, and Spike is like, say no more, grabs his jacket, and immediately leaves. Um, And then we have this whole conversation outside the campus um, at nighttime when Tara bumps into cousin Beth. Um, and this is kind of what we like talked a little bit earlier, is like every time Beth is outside of um the guys in the family, this aggression comes out of her. Um, and she's like, You selfish bitch, like you have no idea what it's been like for your brothers since you've begun a classic tactic. It's like do you see what you put your mother through? You know, it's a whole thing. Um, you see what you're doing to them not being here. They have to clean the house, God forbid. Um and she's like, I can't wait until your little friends find out the truth about you. doesn't matter how innocent you act. They'll see. Um, and then she kind of – she mentions a comment like, unless you do some sort of spell on them. And Tara lets her face uh, mask drop a little bit to which Beth picks up on immediately and is like, you did, didn't you? And Tara kind of goes a little bit frantic. She's like, please don't tell him. um, it was just they wouldn't see the demon part of me. Please don't tell Dad.
1: Oh, the poor girl is like unraveling here. I feel bad for her. There is a scene that was cut out between Buffy and Willow while Buffy's in the training room as the demons are coming through that um was about Riley. <laughs> Cause they always Why cut do off they the... always cut those. They really don't care they... about them all. So in this, uh, the scene they again make the com- the contrast and the comparison between Buffy and Riley and Willow and Tara. So Buffy says to Willow about Riley, he's great, he's so considerate and he's really understanding about my disturbing lifestyle. But every now and then he's Mister Snippy. I never know what sets him off. <laughs> And then Willow says, there's always going to be a part of your life he can't get near. That's just part of relationships that people have to deal with, even if they feel shut out and the other person is acting all weird and doesn't want them to meet their family.
3: Back at the magic shop, we see Willow opens up the door because um, she hears like the bell ring. And and then doesn't see the whole crowd of demons there. And it's like, oh, thought someone's at the door, <laughs> closes it. And we're like, they huh? must be
1: the most stealthy demons ever for no one even to
3: hear them. But I feel like, like, Buffy is so real in the next scene for like,
1: like feeling there's an essence in the room. Just like, Don, go shut the door. Don's like, I didn't open it. <laughs> Not the youngest child being told to go, you know, <laughs> do the one thing that no one else wants to do.
3: The whole, this whole sequence is just so sick. Like, the demons are like moving around and they're kind of picking up on the fact that they can't see them. Um, cause they're getting like real close, like Anya getting real close to Don. Um, and then. We see like from a different angle, we have Buffy training and we see them creeping in, like unfocused in the background. And I'm like, every time i always like, oh, like there's like four of them, and I'm like, that's so creepy. Um, and she kind of turns and is like, huh, oh, that's weird, and then turns back around. Um, and then here is some sort of like noise and then starts fighting them immediately and then as that's happening spike comes in and has like this pure joy look on his face <laughs> he sees he's like pulling out them. the popcorn and then he's like oh
2: and and he just like he's goes like, in are you
3: joking because it's like there's this right as like she could literally die because there's like another one that's like about to like pounce on her he's like fine i'll help her <laughs> goes in <laughs> Um, The gang is being just completely beaten up. Poor Xander is being like thrown across and he's being like uh, choked. And then Willow's being thrown across the room. Giles is just confused. He tells Dawn to go hide. He immediately goes to protect her. It's very sweet. So sweet. Then Tara comes in and is like, hey, Buffy, there's one behind you. And then Buffy's like, okay, well, if you can see them, you have to let me know where they are. Um, And then Tara tries redoing the spell to which a demon runs up and hits her over. And then they can now see all the demons. Then the family comes in and Buffy kills one right in front of them. Then poor Terrace is just like apologizing. She's like thinking – like she's like this is all my fault. Like I somehow brought them here because of me being a demon. Like this poor girl is going through so many emotions. Um, starts getting up. to just be like, okay, I'll, I'll just go home. Like it doesn't matter anymore. Um, she's saying I was trying to hide. I didn't want you to see what I am. Um, to which the dad exposes in this moment he's like because she's a demon and this freaking little smug look on his face when he says that he's like waiting for them to be like shooketh and they're like okay <laughs> i know i'm w- i was waiting for one of them to be like so are
0: half of us like <laughs> you're in the wrong room there pal
2: it is really like and so like what are like <laughs> he's like pointing to the ugly
1: demon on the floor he's like guys look and they're like, yeah. uh okay. I just kept
3: thinking. I was like, okay. in his brain before like the ending of the scene happened, he probably was thinking, how perfect was it that I made this like lie? And then all these demons happened to be here. He's probably thinking, this is amazing. Like, I could not have planned a better scenario to scare yeah. her into coming back into town, you know? Right.
1: I just am so proud Mm -hmm. of Willow in this moment. She's immediately like, hey, she just did a spell that went wrong. Like, it was just a mistake. Like, Willow's thinking about herself in something blue. She's like, I've done that. We forgave Mm -hmm. her. And then Mm -hmm. Mr. McClay is all like, oh, no, the girl belongs. That doesn't even call her by name. And Willow sticks up for her and says, I know that. Mm -hmm. That's not your, like, Mm -hmm. I know it's not my decision. And And immediately turns back to Tara. Yes. Yes. Yep. Yep.
3: And asks her twice. Because I feel like sometimes, like in these scenarios, like, like we need to be asked more than once. It can't just be Mm -hmm. once because we're automatically going to be like, "No, I'm good." Because Mm -hmm. like that's scary to do anything other than you know. Like you need people to stick around and be like, "Hey, Mm -hmm. do you really want to go?" And she asks her twice, and the second time, Tara shakes her head, and her little face makes me tear up every time. In the scene, I'm like, "Oh,
1: poor baby Tara." Well, and it's really significant that Buffy sticks up, not only because she's a slayer, but the words that she uses or the words that Mr. McClay uses, the script is really clear. She, Mr. McClay says, you're going to do what's right, Tara. Now I'm taking you out of here before somebody does get killed. The girl belongs to her family. I hope that's clear to the rest of you. And the script says the, this registers with Buffy. She looks at Dawn, then back at Tara and then says, you want her. You're going to have to go through me. It's also
0: just so powerful because – Buffy is also kind of like the leader of the group like what, what she decides kind of dictates like where everyone else goes a lot of the time not always but a lot of the time so it's like if Willow stands up for her it's like okay yeah of course Willow would stand up for her that's her girlfriend but like Buffy standing up is it's so impactful because of a everything with Dawn which is so beautiful but also because she's Buffy ultimately She gets to make the call when it comes to quote unquote demons and stuff. Mm -hmm. But if Buffy is standing up and saying, no, she stays with us. It's like the the herd kind of goes behind her. Mm
1: -hmm. And the Mm -hmm. intentional choice of having Dawn being the next one to stand up next to Buffy. Dawn is also a reflection of Buffy. She's supposed to be a representation of Buffy's desire to hold on to the innocence of her youth.
3: Dawn has like this like kindred connection with Tara too. like They are one of the same. They like they see a lot in each other. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very sweet that she stands up second.
1: And then mm-hmm. Mr. McClay being like, I'm not going to be threatened by two little girls and Giles taking off his glasses as he always <laughs> does and going, Love and that. you're not just dealing with two little girls. And he stands behind them, not in front mm-hmm. of them, behind them to back them up, which I just ugh, so good.
2: Mm-hmm. I will say this scene gave me This, I I cried really hard at the end of the scene because it reminded me a lot of the process of coming out. And also the sort of like the the fear and anticipation you have in that because you are worried, especially to come out in a family or an environment where you have explicitly heard that what you are about to reveal about yourself is something that is not agreed with or even seen as actively dangerous. And to like, you literally in that moment, and I, again, I'm going to speak a little bit from experience. You're asking as the person coming out to basically have everyone remember every single time that they ever told you that they loved you no matter what. It's like, I'm putting that on the line. Do you actually love me more than you fear this thing? do you actually want to know me more than you hate this thing? Do you actually see me and respect me as a person and desire a relationship with me? Or are you going to let this thing come in between us? And again, with Tara, we see that it is a big deal in her family and it she is needed to literally... Put distance between herself and her family in order just to discover this side of her. And then with the gang, it's an immediate, like again, like intellectually, yes, like Spike is literally there. Anya is literally right there. Like there's so much proof that they will love her. And yet she still has that fear. But then to, but then to have it what on one side be validated and on the other be like accepted for the truth. It's just so interesting to see the dichotomy because that's something that like, again, in coming out, even I experienced like not everyone responded very well and it, it caused rifts in a lot of my relationships for a really long time. And some of them are still not repaired, but the people who are there, I literally was told by someone that I can love you better now because I know who you are like that. That's true. That's family right there. That is the emotional intimacy of loving someone familially.
1: And two things are important here in this moment. The gang is ready to stand behind Tara and accept her as one of their own without even knowing that she's not a demon. Yeah, they don't. They don't don't recognize that. Yeah, they just are like, well, well, fine, and they don't even like that's secondary to them. and the pulled back shot that shows all the Scoobies, even including Spike when they're all sticking up for her, is a contrast to the one in Buffy's dorm room I talked about earlier where everyone was on one side and Tara was on the other. Tara's now a part of the group. Um, but who isn't a part of the group? <laughs> Riley. <laughs> Riley's not there. I um,
0: forgot about that. He's literally not there. No, insane. I noticed that
1: too. I was like, it's intentional Yeah.
0: Yet yep. Riley's not there because Riley has never been a part of the gang. He never has. Yeah. Like. And it's not because he's a boyfriend because we have Anya and uh um, I don't think Kara he cares
3: there. though. He it's literally, literally because be
1: he's bright he's just not there. I think he cares and I think that he has been a part of the gang. I think this episode is supposed to mark the divide. At the beginning he was, but once he's making that choice to talk to Sandy, even if it was just a small thing, I think it's it's showing a separation that he can't come back from.
3: Um and then oh my gosh, and then the donnie immediately going in oh first of all why did they choose to have his name be donnie you could have had any other name it's too close to don like what in the world i don't understand um his his immediate reaction in this moment is like put on the aggressive side so he's like i will beat you down and take you out physical violence yeah gosh xander was too kind in this moment he was nice for speaking up but he was like he's like and i'll stop you where you stand or whatever but i'm like i'd be like are you? I would be like <laughs> so well, angry in that moment.
1: The, the your full and manly beard is supposed to be a put down of his scraggly, barely there beard. So he's insulting him mm-hmm. is what he was doing. And your beard is supposed to be a re- a resemblance to well, a resemblance It's supposed to be a reference or a picture like of emblematic your emblematic of yes, yeah, manhood. Yeah. You're not very manly, basically. Yeah. The dad's like,
3: we're blood kin. Who are you? And then Buffy is like, let me just pull a Fast and Furious real quick with family. <laughs> um, and then um, and then the boy's like, okay, fine, whatever. And then they're like, well, I hope you – Beth is like, I hope you're okay with hanging out with a disgusting demon. And then Anya raises her hand. She's like, um, what kind of demon? Because some are proven to be um, – what is it beneficial members of society yes. and yeah then, and then her smile ah, <laughs> so, so sweet cute. that was very sweet um and then they're like oh evil's evil and then spike's like let me just make this easier for you and then it's funny because the first time we watched this with Catherine, i didn't even put two and two together that she might not know why he'd be hitting her in this moment oh. and, they, <laughs> and then Kath, Catherine goes she goes uh thank god that i knew why he was hitting her because
1: i would need a lot of context i was like i know (laughs) also he could have just pinched her he's like full-on just like punches her and breaks her nose (laughs) i know i'm like
2: i was like this is a little aggressive Mm. you could
1: like you could just
2: like did a little slap on the face or something he's gotta go
0: big or go home
2: (laughs) apparently
3: (laughs) Um and Spike's like, Oh, I'm guessing that you just made this up just to keep the women in line in the family. And the dad doesn't deny it. And he's like, You're you're a lot of work. I like you. See you in hell. Yeah. Yeah, For real. Very much that energy. Um, so they end up leaving, and then um cousin Beth looks at Tara and says, Are you happy now? And Tara just smiles. Yeah. Yeah, I am, dude. She's like, yes, I am. Goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye. Bye, Barbie. Are you happy,
2: Beth? Because I don't think you are. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. A lot of queer people that grow up in not accepting environments understand like the desperation you have for community. It, oh, yeah. You feel very alone for a lot of your life, and then to finally be known and accepted, like genuinely like you never stop missing the support of your family entirely but you do get over it in a way and you're mm-hmm. like once you finally find people who do love you for who you are and want the best for you and truly prove that over and over again you don't care anymore you really don't care and, mm-hmm. and it's heartbreaking because you're like that's your family it's your father it's your mother it's your siblings but eventually you do come to this place where it's like i understand that my family, and it's a sad way of looking at it, but it's the reality for a lot of people. My family was an obstacle I had to overcome or a burden I no longer have to carry. And there's freedom in that.
1: Also, the
2: fact that the black
1: sheep of the family and the whistleblower will always be held responsible for revealing the truth and not the people that are actually responsible. That's what happens here with Beth. She's blaming Tara
2: for this. And this is not Tara's fault. <laughs> I mean, yeah. What if you had just, like, I don't know, loved your daughter, and maybe also loved your wife? Because I'm, uh, it's like the more yeah, and more we see the death, the more I'm like, his what? Wife? What? Where is your mom? Is she okay? How? It, like, what's yeah, going bro, on there? Someone
1: check up on her? No, she's dead. Tara's mom is dead. Oh. <laughs> yep. That we don't know mood. how. We don't know why. We just know she's dead. Which, Ooh, if you're going, the why is concerning right now. <laughs> yes exactly yeah yeah how
3: did she die Mm -hmm. don't know and then we have this whole bronze scene oh so cute they're all like like having a party for her birthday (laughs) it's just so cute every time she opens up the crystal ball and then uh, you see giles like trying to explain and like having some meaningful moment and then dawn just completely cuts in front (laughs)
2: with the broom comes in with the broom (laughs) (laughs) it's so cute
0: Is so pure. Like, Don's like, hey, like, I know you'll like this. It's just
1: very sweet. They have a whole family montage. And who's not there? Riley. Riley. <laughs> and no one misses him. Even Riley's like, or even Buffy's like, oh, hey. I
0: have She's a like, you came.
1: Right. <laughs> and he's like, of course I came. We're like, well, um, we not have grounds to question course.
0: that. <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah. Um, and then we have like her explaining her joke to Anya, and Anya's like, very hmm. sweet. I still don't think it's very funny, but then goes on and asks her questions about other things. Mm-hmm. So, like, she's really trying, like, they're having an actual conversation. Um, and then we have Willow pulling her off to the dance floor to have a dance, um, which I feel like them being so open. By having Mm – like dancing with each other at the bronze that they've been in for seasons now is Mm -hmm. very monumentous. Um, And then they have this sweet conversation where she's like – and this is just what you want to hear like when you grow up or have been around or have been a version of yourself you don't align with anymore. And you're scared of sharing that with people because you're like, I don't – I don't reflect this side – of myself that used to be me or the people that I grew up with or the culture that I grew up in or any of that. Um, Like, There's a part of you that really just kind of wants to not even address that to people because you're like, I don't want them to see me as that. Um, And Willow's like, see, that's where you're wrong. Um, I think about who you grew up with um, and then I look at what you are and it makes me proud. It makes me love you more. And I love that. That's so sweet, um, which is just like – that's that's the correct mindset to have. It's like it's not like, a oh, I view you differently because of all this. It's like, no, I, I – this affirms even more who you are mm-hmm. and what I've seen in you because you are this in spite of what you grew up with.
2: Mm-hmm. Again, it's being known completely leads to being loved completely.
1: Yes. Yeah. And we had talked about it – oh, I don't remember. I think it was the episode actually where Willow introduced – oh, it was um, Who Are You? And it was the episode where Faith and Buffy do the body swap. And Willow introduces Tara to the gang in that episode. And she introduces – um everyone to Tara in the bronze. And I had referenced how the bronze is very significant when it comes to Willow and Tara's relationship, because especially for Willow, the bronze was always the really cool place. And it was the place that um, she was always trying really hard to fit in. And back in Welcome to the Hellmouth, you have Buffy and Willow sitting at a table. And that's where Buffy tells her, seize the day, because tomorrow you might be dead. Like You never know. Like Go for it, because Willow was going to go ask a guy to dance. And so there's this reoccurring theme of Willow desiring – to be known, like we talked about, desiring to have that place where she feels like she fits in, feels like she belongs. And so in Who Are You? Her introducing Tara to the gang in the bronze is significant because that's a place where Willow has never really felt like she fully belonged. Um, And that's also the episode that Tara doesn't have a great introduction with the Scoobies because it's not actually Buffy, it's Faith. And Tara ends up leaving early because she feels like an outsider and feels like she doesn't belong. And so now having this all happen back, in the bronze in a place where Tara has typically not been included and Willow has also not felt like she belonged to see them both feel like they found the other half of themselves. And also for Tara to fully be a part of the Scooby gang is just, I think it's sweetly poetic. True. I never thought about that, Sarah.
2: Mm -hmm. I will also say the little, the end scene where they're like spinning and floating. I feel like there are some parts of it. I feel like I can almost like, begin to, like, tell how involved Joss is or isn't in it, like, with the project, because I feel like they're very, it's a very comic book shop. Like, I don't mean that negatively, I enjoy it, but, like, it really is, like, I can see Mm -hmm. this in a graphic novel. Like, I can see, like, the close-up of their face with the dialogue, and then the, like, last page being this, like, really big picture of them floating in the middle of the dance floor.
3: Yeah. It's very, like, on trend, too, for them being, like, witches. Like, you kind of have to have, like, A little scene like this. (laughs) Yeah. I'm also just like
0: a sucker for a happy ending. Like any episode in Buffy where it's like a happy ending, I'm like, which is rare. That was the best episode ever. Because it just (laughs) very rarely ends happily.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's just it's just a sweet episode. And it's one that you hold on to as being kind of the heart of the show and this idea of the the found and chosen family. Um, so yeah. Anyway, guys, that is our analysis of family. We hope you guys love that. Catherine, thank you so much for joining and for like, you know, talking to us so openly. I really appreciate it.
2: <laughs> thank you for having me. I'm glad I got to share. I I did some obviously, I mean I watched the episode a lot, but I also did some other research <laughs> to like see yeah. what people thought about the episode because I hadn't I hadn't even like heard of the episode before. I mm-hmm. you know, not didn't really grow up a big Buffy fan. And yeah. it was just interesting because I can, like, I remember for me, like, my first time seeing someone who I felt like kind of represented me was uh, Rose Diaz from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, who's a bisexual mm-hmm. woman. And then like being, like reading accounts of like, this was the first time like I saw myself represented on TV. I was like, oh, oh, it kind of makes me want to talk about like my experience a little bit more because this was like such a catalyst for so many others. hmm Yeah
1: yes definitely so you'll have to watch the rest of the rest of the show so you can come on again and you know <laughs> understand a little bit more in context what's going on
2: <laughs> yeah yeah the with riley and buffy and everything oh gosh we hope you
1: enjoyed this episode. As always, let us know your thoughts. We would love to hear from you. You can find us on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and Tumblr at Becoming Buffy Podcast, and you can email us at buffypodcast at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support us or hear our spoiler section for each of these episodes, plus a few other perks, you can join our Buy Me A Coffee membership at buymeacoffee.com slash becomingbuffy. Shout out and special thank you to our producers, Ann, CJ, Paul, Chrissy, Kate, and Sophie. Thank you to our listeners, and we'll talk to you all
2: next time.